Welcome to this sample audio clip, which comes from the conversation series featuring multi-hull pioneer Jim Brown. This segment comes from an interview with Jim, where he shares his ideas and experiences related to what is often called seasteading. from outrigmedia.com and I have Jim Brown on the phone with me today and Jim and I were having a discussion recently about seasteading. I heard an interview recently from somebody who actually has a book out entitled Seasteading and it was kind of fascinating. Uh, this fellow was a, a modern seasteader, a young man who wrote a book about the challenges that young people have growing up in a world where you know they come out of college and there's a lot of debt and there's not a lot of jobs right now and he encourages uh, young people just to get out there and get a boat and go somewhere and have an adventure and of course that's certainly not for everybody but uh, the merits of what he was talking about I think were certainly fascinating. I wanted to read a quote from Among the Multihulls, uh, your, um, your autobiography, Volume 1, and it kind of uh, uh, captures kind of this idea of seasteading and what it means to uh, be a seasteader and the freedom or the pursuit of freedom that this type of a cruising lifestyle would involve. So I'm going to read this little paragraph here, and these were your thoughts on a part of what drove the multi-hall movement back in the 1960s. So I'm going to start the quote right now. Perhaps it was simple paranoia, but I still suspect that there was some logic in the minds of we who, when faced with the strange antithesis between the hip and the political at home, opted instead for freedom and adventure at sea. We chose to consolidate our assets in a cruising machine that we could build ourselves, that could move without fuel, that could swerve around geopolitical hotspots, and could carry a microcosm of our own culture, our own food, music, family, and friends. We would sail the wide waters to some unspecified sanctuary that surely must await discovery somewhere. It is easy to call this utopian, but more insightful, I propose to see it as survival. And that also uh, refers strongly or intimates strongly to what your friend Mark Hassel uh, quoted when you were interviewing him, that quote from Mark Hassel that we recorded. I have here a, a, a little audio clip that actually comes from a video that I made of my late great friend Mark Hassel down in Guatemala back in about uh, 2004 when uh, he was living down in Guatemala on Lake Atitlan, which is a highland mountain lake surrounded by volcanoes, actually, where he spent the last, oh, 10 or 15 years of his life uh, after he gave up sailing because his body became uh, uh, pretty well crippled up with arthritis. 
Mark has since died, but I think that uh, much of his seasteading prowess uh, has been preserved in, uh, in this video. And there's just one statement that uh, I, I'd like to include here. Mark, incidentally, was probably my most uh, illustrious client. He, he built three of my boats, uh, one of which he lost in a shipwreck, and the other two he sailed around the world. His first circumnavigation was with his family. It took them only three years. His second circumnavigation, he did a lot of it single-handed and with friends, and uh, it took nine years. So uh, he had to stop off and, and move on a lot during those voyages. And uh, he came to regard the, the cruising experience in a different way. It wasn't so much the time at sea that mattered to him. It was, uh, it was the, uh, the time uh, living in the various places. Mark found something in his scrapbook that I had sent to him years before. It's a quote from Sterling Hayden. And it, it, uh, the reason he wanted to go in and, and, uh, and read this to me was to uh, remind me of how it answers the question that I had just asked him, how in the world he managed to do all of this on such a shoestring. The guy was a great scrounger. And uh, he, uh, he thought that uh, Sterling Hayden had, it, uh, had the motivation pretty well explained. And so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll turn, him, turn on Mark Hassel here from, I think, 2004. To be truly challenging, a voyage like a life must rest on a firm foundation of financial unrest. Otherwise, you are doomed to a routine traverse, the kind known to yachtsmen who play with their boats at sea. Cruising, it is called. Voyaging belongs to seamen and to the wonders of the world who cannot or will not fit in. If you are contemplating a voyage and you have the means, abandon the venture until your fortunes change. Only then will you know what the sea is all about. I've always wanted to sail the South Seas, but I can't afford it. What these men can't afford is not to go. They are enmeshed in the cancerous discipline of security. And in the worship of security, we fling our lives beneath the wheels of routine. But we are brainwashed by our economic system until we end up in a tomb beneath a pyramid of time payments. Mortgages, prosperity, gadgetry, playthings that divert our attention from the sheer idiocy of the charade. The years thunder by. The dreams of youth grow dim where they lie cracked in the dust on the shelves of patience. Before we know it, the tomb is sealed. Where then lies the answer? In choice. Which shall it be? Bankruptcy of purse or bankruptcy of life? Joe, when we were speaking with Chris White the other day, he came up with an eloquent paragraph too. Maybe that's something that you could put into the program. Yeah, absolutely. We could uh, we could uh, play that right now for uh, for our listeners and just kind of summarize Chris' statements. And I, I wonder if you have anything to say, Chris, about your your clientele. 
Do you know what it is that really explains their desire to own a yacht? What explains yacht ownership anyway? You know, um, so many of them sit idle for so much of their lives. Um, I've, I've always been trying to figure that one out. Um, well, I don't know that I have a good answer. I, I guess I can only tell you my own personal experience on that score, and that's, you know, I've had, I've had a, a cruising boat um, ever since I was 19. I launched Shadowfax, the Sea Runner, when I was 19. And with one exception, the period between, the, during the time I was building Juniper, um, I had sold Shadowfax and Juniper wasn't yet finished. That was a, a short period of time, you know, a year and a half or something. But other than that, I've always had a, a boat, a boat that I could get on and live on happily. That, to me, gives me this enormous peace of mind. As much pain as a boat might be sometimes in, in terms of ownership, knowing that I've got a place to go, if the world just gets so nutty I can't stand it anymore, that I've got a place I can go and and move around and enjoy life and eat mangoes, that, uh, that just, that's worth something to me that I cannot, it's something I can't get any other way. And what else can you do? You could have a cabin in the mountains, for instance, but then you're stuck. You know, you're stuck with a government that of the jurisdiction of your cabin. Uh, you're you're stuck in a particular climate. Uh, you know, you're you're just fixed. With a boat, with a cruising boat, you know, you could be anywhere in the world. And you know, if the government gets out of control, you can say, "Hey, see you later. I'm gone." You know, get your, you know extract your pound of flesh from somebody else because I'm out of here. You know, it gives you that option, which you, as a, as a, you know, as a sort of a common man, and I think this is something that, you know, if you look throughout human history, just in the last really few decades, it, it hasn't been very long that somebody of sort of ordinary means can knock together a boat, either buy it or build it, that will allow them to go pretty much anywhere in the world at will, uh, and quite safely and quite comfortably. Um, you know, it's sort of like owning a 747. It doesn't it's go as fast. level of freedom. It's just it's it tremendous. It, it, and, and just throughout human history, you know, when have we ever seen that being available? Uh, on a widespread basis. I mean, yeah, the super rich of any era have always been able to get around and do this and do that, but, you know, it doesn't take uh, extraordinary means now. I mean, you can, with a quite ordinary budget, go out and buy a, a used boat and put a GPS on it and make it waterproof and go off and have a good time. Um, and that, that, I think, is it's important to me. And I think a lot of other people feel the same way. Not necessarily everybody. People have lots of different reasons for buying boats. Some people just feel like they need to 
have some big fancy toy, and you know there there are other reasons, but that's that's my reason. It gives me a, a, a degree of peace of mind and comfort that I I would be very unhappy without a boat. I really would. I mean, there are there are times when I think, oh goodness, you know, boat's expensive and it's a, runs my life and this and that. But uh, you know, if I didn't have it, I would feel just totally vulnerable. And I I with the boat, I I feel like I've got options. Okay. Good. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's an amazing uh, idea just to be able to. The, the idea of being able to escape. Uh, maybe uh, escapism is not really the right word. Uh, for some of us, it maybe it is, but also um, for some of us, it's just it's just the desire to be free from the chains of, uh, you know, as you refer to them in this book here, geopolitical hotspots and monetary crisis and and uh, jobs that are kind of dead end that will lead nowhere and. Yeah, you know, the dream of something more. Yeah, Joe, it's it, it, it's pretty subjective. Yeah, um, and uh, it, it's kind of kind of hard to put your finger on. But I have been noticing some parallels recently between the the uh, the tone in popular culture from the 1960s and 70s uh, relative to today. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this audio clip. For more like this, or to obtain the complete audio conversation, come visit us on the web at www.outrigmedia.com.